Welcome to Alpha Coding Podcast, an all-access pass to medical coding and billing pro tips that help you start your week off smarter. And now, here is your host, Tony L. Holmes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alpha Coding Podcast series. I am your host, Tony L. Holmes. Welcome to episode 56 of the podcast. Today is January 25th, and I hope everyone is doing well, staying safe. And I just wanted to give a huge shout out to some of my dear friends and fellow influencers in the field. Brian Cooey, he's doing some incredible things with his podcast, the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. Definitely go check that out. And he just put out his first episode for 2021. I appreciate the shout out, Brian. And I'm super excited for your YouTube channel and all of the huge things that you're going to be doing in 2021. Another dear friend is Sanal Patel. Girl, I am so proud of you showing up every single Wednesday with your podcast. Go check out her podcast, the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. She is doing incredible things on compliance, the OIG, and just doing a great job of keeping us in the know on what we need to keep on our radar from a compliance standpoint. So Sanal, I'm super proud of you and I can't wait to see all of the great things you're going to do with your podcast. Another friend and colleague, Glenn Krause, he has the Wiser Wednesday podcast series and he's doing some awesome work with Dr. John Zellum, who was also a previous guest on the podcast. They're doing some big things with Utilization Management 360. So definitely go check out their work. I'm super excited to see what they're going to do. And then of course, my bestie, Victoria Mull, over over at Contempo Coding. She's kind of like my partner in crime in the influencer world. I love her. I love her content. And she's one of the hardest working people that I know. She puts so much time and energy into creating this amazing content that she puts out every week. So Victoria, I'm super excited for this next chapter that you're going into as a full-time entrepreneur. And what's funny is that from the very beginning of our friendship, I have told Victoria, you need to quit your day job and go full-time as an entrepreneur. I just knew that she had it in her and she's going to do such epic things in her business. So girl, I'm super proud of you and everybody listening, go check out her channel, make sure to support her work. So today we're gonna cover a topic that many providers and coding professionals struggle with and it can be a huge audit risk area. So we're gonna talk about critical care compliance. So before we dive into our topic, it's time for your Monday dose of positivity, the Mindset Monday tip. And it's brought to you by Contempo Coding, which is an on-demand, educational resource provider created for coders by coders. They specialize in affordable coding certification prep courses to help you accelerate in your career. Right now, they're offering an exclusive special to Alpha Coding Podcast listeners, and that's $125 off the Certified Risk Adjustment Coding Prep course when you order through our affiliate website. This prep course has a 100% pass rate, by the way. Visit our website, alphacodingexperts.com, and head over to the deal and discounts tab for a link to take advantage of this absolute steal of a deal. So our Mindset Monday tip is all about recognizing the value of hard work. The quote I want to share with you says, everybody has a dream, but not everybody has a grind. And this quote could not be more true. I have said this so many times and I'll say it again. Hard work works. Hard work will always beat talent. One of the keys to my success is always being the hardest working person in the room. I may not be the smartest or the most talented, but there's no way that anybody else would be able to outwork me because that's just how I am. Once I make up my mind that I'm going to do something, it becomes a no matter what, no matter if I'm sick, no matter if I'm tired, 
no matter what's going on in my life, I've made a decision that I'm going to show up and I'm going to work harder than anybody else. So hard work always works. And I'm sure many of you have heard this, but dreams are free. The hustle, the grind is sold separately. Anybody can have a dream and anybody could show up those first couple of days because it sounds good, it feels good. But when the feel good wears off and you actually have to continue to grind day in and day out and it doesn't just get handed to you and it's not easy and you're going to have all of these obstacles that come your way, the hardworking people that keep going, that keep persisting are the ones that are successful. So the bigger your dream, the harder the grind. You got to be prepared to put in the work. So today we're going to cover my top 10 pro tips for understanding critical care compliance. So I recently worked with a group of critical care doctors and they were hit with a $3 million recoupment request because of non-compliance with critical care. And they're now on a full pre-bill audit status, which means none of their claims get paid until they submit documentation to support the critical care service. And the insurance companies take their time to process these requests, so it takes longer for them to get paid, which jams up their cash flow. And if that service does not qualify as critical care, then they're not going to receive payment for the critical care service. So this coding issue with critical care services has actually had systemic consequences on the organization because now it's impacting their cash flow. Now it's impacting their contracts with other insurance companies, and it's creating a lot of financial strain on the practice. So I want to share some great pro tips with you on how to comply with critical care services. So this brings me to my pro tip number one, know the critical care code requirements. So for critical care, we're looking at CPT codes 99291 and 99292. So the three main components for critical care are going to be meeting the time threshold for the critical care service and that the patient's condition actually qualifies the patient for critical care services. So there has to be proof that the patient is in organ system failure or the organ system failure is imminent, likely, and that the provider's immediate presence is necessary to prevent further life-threatening deterioration of the patient's condition. And then the third component, which is always the most difficult for providers to wrap their head around, the provider actually has to render active critical care on the date of service that it's being reported. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So these are the three core requirements for critical care. Pro tip number two, clinical documentation must support active critical care by the rendering provider. So this is the component that I think providers struggle with the most. So the complexity of their plan needs to demonstrate that they rendered active critical care for that patient on that day. So when I read a note that says patient is in the ICU, patient is doing well, patient is stable, vitals are normal, that to me says no way that's critical care. That documentation is not going to demonstrate that there was an active need for the provider to save the patient's life. So examples of things we should see in critical care documentation, ordering life-saving interventions, applying advanced technologies, the provider treatment plan needs to reflect a much higher intensity than what we would see for a standard evaluation and management service. Pro tip number three, the site of service does not determine whether critical care can be reported. So just because the patient's in the ICU does not mean that the services rendered to them are critical care. Critical care can happen in the emergency department and conversely, it could take place at the time of admission. It can take place on any floor of the hospital because critical care is based on 
on the patient's condition and the intensity of service required for that patient. So it doesn't have to take place in the ICU. And conversely, just because the patient is in the ICU doesn't mean that it qualifies for critical care. Pro tip number four, critical care is not just for pulmonologists. So another common misconception is that only pulmonologists or critical care docs that work in the ICU can report critical care. And when I'm working with docs in the hospital and I tell them that they don't have to be a pulmonologist to report critical care, and what often happens is I get this crazy look because they can't believe what I just said because a lot of the ICU docs have been going around telling the other doctors that they're the only ones that can report critical care. And that's simply not true. So providers that are treating patients and they are rendering active critical care, whether they're the hospitalist, the cardiologist, they can report critical care as well, as long as they're meeting those critical care requirements. But it's also worth noting that you can't have two providers that are overlapping on critical care time. So we can't have a pulmonologist and a cardiologist both treating the patient at the same time and then reporting critical care unless they're actually managing two totally separate things that do not overlap and they can justify critical care from that standpoint. I haven't seen this happen very often, but it can happen in some rare instances. Pro tip number five, clinical documentation must be consistent throughout the note. So at the top of the provider's note, I shouldn't see critical care at the heading of the note and then go down and read that the patient is feeling well. They're on room air. They are clinically stable or that the patient is sitting in their bed upright eating their sandwich. This kind of documentation, which I see all the time in services that are reported as critical care, are not going to justify that you are actively intervening and saving this patient's life. There's no way that's going to fly. But I've heard so many providers say, but the patient is in the ICU, so that automatically means that they're critical care. And that's, again, a common misconception. So your clinical documentation throughout the entire note that you're submitting for critical care should not have any inference that the patient is clinically stable or that the patient is feeling well. Because if that was truly the case, then the patient would not require critical care. Pro tip number six, every service is not critical care. If I had a dollar for every time I've gotten into a debate with a provider about every service being critical care, I could have probably already retired. This comes up all the time. I've actually had doctors argue with me and tell me if I get called out of bed in the middle of the night to come to the hospital, then it's critical care. Um, what did you just say? That's not how critical care is defined. And these discussions are often pretty entertaining because then I have to set the record straight that just because you had to get out of your warm and comfy bed in the middle of the night doesn't mean that you can report critical care. So these types of misconceptions are rampant when it comes to critical care. And as coding professionals, it's our job to set the record straight that critical care has very specific criteria and with the higher reimbursement comes with a higher level of scrutiny. Pro tip number seven, combining multiple providers' critical care time on one day is not permissible under Medicare rules, but I've seen many other payers adopt the same rule. So let's say that you have two hospitalists working in the same group and they both render critical care on the same day. As long as both providers have met that minimum 30-minute time threshold to report critical care, you're actually going to report the critical care services. The first service is going to be under the first provider that rendered the service that day. And then this is contrary to what we do with almost anything in coding, but for the add-on code, you would actually report that add-on code under the subsequent provider. 
And this is completely opposite of most coding rules with regards to combining provider time. Like for example, with split shared services, where you can take the NPP's time and the physician's time, as long as they meet all of their requirements and combine that time, you can't do that with critical care. So check your payer guidelines and make sure that you're reporting critical care services compliantly. Pro tip number eight, don't unbundle. So if you are actively rendering critical care, there are some services that are considered inclusive of the critical care service. So for example, if you are reading chest x-rays, the professional component of that chest x-ray would be included in the critical care time. Pulse ox, vascular access procedures, blood gases, interpretation of cardiac output measurements. So all of these services are included in critical care and should not be reported separately. Pro tip number nine, avoid canned phrases. Providers should be doing this anyway, but I can't tell you how many times I've met with providers that struggle with critical care, and a lot of their documentation has these cookie cutter canned phrases. So if I look at five different patients, the critical care statement is exactly the same for all five of those patients that's gonna create some major issues from a compliance standpoint. So your critical care documentation should be patient specific. I'm not saying that you have to constantly reinvent the wheel, but what you're doing for that patient is not going to be the same as what you're doing for the five other patients that you're reporting critical care for. So it needs to be patient specific and it should not be this cookie cutter phrase that the provider is putting in the note just to justify critical care. I've had providers ask me, okay, just tell me what I need to write to justify critical care. And that's the exact sentence I'll use in my note to support critical care for each patient. First of all, I can't tell you how to write your note. And second of all, if you're just taking a canned phrase and putting it in every single note to justify critical care, that's going to create some major compliance issues. Pro tip number 10, expect payer audits. So with critical care, you're looking at a much higher reimbursement rate. So with greater reimbursement comes more audits and more scrutiny. If you are a heavy reporter of critical care services, you're definitely going to get audited. And this typically starts out as post-payment audits where a small sampling is requested to kind of feel out your compliance with critical care. And then based on the results of that audit, they may request more and more documentation. And then as I mentioned earlier with the critical care practice that I just recently assisted, they've been put on a full prepay audit, which means they don't get paid for any of their services until they've submitted documentation with their claim submission. And then the insurance company has an opportunity to review it. And then if they agree that it does support critical care, then at that point, the organization would receive reimbursement. But look at how many extra steps and how much time that's taking for them to get paid. So you want to be super proactive with your critical care compliance. Make sure that you're auditing your services internally and also externally to get an unbiased opinion. Another big thing that comes up in payer audits is overly templated notes. So let's say that a provider reports critical care services for one patient over a two-week time period. And when we actually look at the documentation for that patient for the two-week time period, every single note is carbon copy the exact same. And I've done this many times where I'll print out the provider's note and I'll highlight the words that are different from each note. And there have been instances where there are no differences. So if you're treating that patient over a two-week period and nothing has changed, there's a huge probability that that patient did not receive critical care over that entire time period. So make sure for critical care services, your clinical documentation is audit proof. So grab a pen and paper to summarize my top 10 pro tips for understanding critical care compliance. 
Number one, know the critical care code requirements. Number two, clinical documentation must support active critical care by the rendering provider. Number three, the site of service does not determine whether critical care can be reported. Number four, critical care is not just for pulmonologists. Number five, clinical documentation must be consistent throughout the note. Number six, every service is not critical care. Number seven, combining multiple providers' critical care time on one day is not permissible under Medicare rules. Number eight, don't unbundle. Number nine, avoid canned phrases. Number 10, expect payer audits. So it's time for this week's coding pro tip. And it's brought to you by Project Resume. When is the last time you had your resume updated? Your resume is literally your entry ticket to that next great opportunity. Project Resume will design a customized ATS-friendly resume to demonstrate your unique skills and experience. And even better, it's written by coders for coders. Make that investment in yourself today and visit projectresume.net and mention my code ALPHACODING for special pricing. If you have a coding-related question and would like it to be featured in one of our coding pro tips, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. So this week's coding pro tip comes to us from Ohio. Hi, Tony. I absolutely love your show and the amazing things you're doing for us coders. So the docs in our practice see patients in the hospital and in the clinic and are really struggling with the new ENM coding guidelines for 2021 and balancing both sets of guidelines. Do you have any tips to help guide them in the right direction? So first of all, thank you so much for your feedback and support of the podcast. So this has definitely come up a lot in the last few weeks with providers that work in both settings. So my best advice would be to have them document in the exact same way that they're used to documenting under the old guidelines. That way it's consistent and for leveling purposes, we're no longer looking at the history in the exam. And the only real exception to this would be the time documentation. So that's where you can build some macro phrases to help remind them on the components that they need to meet for the time. So that's the only real area that they need to focus on tweaking their documentation. But because history and exam no longer factor into the level of service, they're still supposed to be documenting an appropriate history and exam. So try to keep it super simple and not overwhelm them with the idea of having to juggle two separate sets of guidelines and try to leverage some of those technology resources to make their life easier. Also, be sure to check out episode 41 where I talked about the specific ENM coding changes in 2021. It has some great pro tips in there that you can share with your providers. So please remember to hit that subscribe button now so you never miss another episode. Also, be sure to drop us a rating and review you on iTunes. We really appreciate your support. So this concludes today's episode. Until next week, thank you for listening to the Alpha Coding Podcast. We'll see you next Monday. For more information about medical coding and billing pro tips, including how to hire alpha coding experts, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at www.alphacodingexperts.com.